three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Tuesday, December 19, 2023. Andy Crash Connell here. Mary, it is 16 degrees outside. So we need to state that in case we replay this sometime. So people, <laughs> 15 degrees. Yeah, it's right. chilly. It's chilly and it's going to warm up. We're going to get rain for Christmas, which is a little bit strange, but um, at least it won't mess with people's travel plans. Yes, December 19th, <clears throat> and we are uh, careening towards uh, Christmas. Like a freight train. My guest today is Frank Sherwin of the Institute for Creation Research, and we are going to declare God's wondrous works through creation, and hopefully we'll understand our Creator a little bit better uh, when we're done today. So my scripture today is Psalm 8. going to read the whole thing. It's a little bit longer than usual, but it is so apropos to what we are discussing today. So here we go. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Would you pray with me this morning? O Lord, your your works are glorious, and we lift your name up high today. We give you our days and our weeks, and Lord, whatever time you've given us, I pray that we could use our time and resources in ways that are pleasing to you, and that our words and the meditations of our heart would also please you. We ask for our guest, Frank Sherwin, to you, and thank you for the gifts that you have given him uh, and the place of influence he has to speak truth about who you are and the wonderful works of your hands. We pray you'd protect him and his family and refresh them by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> yeah, I got something in my throat here. Frank Sherwin, he's a science writer for the Institute for Creation Research, ICR, one of their most sought-after speakers. He received his bachelor's degree in biology from Western State College in Colorado in 1978. He attended graduate school at the University of Northern Colorado, where he studied, un- studied under the late Gerald D. Schmidt, one of the world's foremost parasitologists oh, in America. Okay, In 1985, he obtained a master's degree in zoology. He is the author of such books as The Ocean Book and Guide to Animals, Parks Across America, Viewing God's Wonders Through a Creationist Lens, Fascinating Creatures, Evidence of Christ's Handiwork, Human Origins, and the Human Body and Intelligent Design, and so much more. Frank, what a blessing to have you with us this morning. Mary, the pleasure is all mine, and uh, I give greetings to all my friends in Wisconsin. I graduated from uh, a military academy in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. and I was an inmate. I was a cadet there for uh, three years. (laughs) (laughs) A little slip of the tongue there. Um, I tell you. Well, we're so glad you're here today. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about ICR and what people can find when they go to icr.org. 
Yeah, org, of course, is our website, and it is uh, reader-friendly. You don't have to have an advanced degree in science to to uh, read uh, the articles and the publications on our website there, references, citations. Uh, what we basically do is to take some of the latest news or the latest science news in uh, that we find uh, in the website there and then put a creation answer to it, you know, because all these science news articles are written from an evolutionary perspective, and we look at the Bible as the authority regarding our origin and also our destiny, and so we write articles in relation to uh, what Scripture says, and and I thoroughly enjoy doing that because uh, it fits uh, much, much better in a biblical worldview. Mm. But also what we have is a publication department, a communications department. We uh, have the Discovery Center, and the Discovery Center is uh, just a wonderful, wonderful Christ-honoring museum that is very kid-friendly. So if any of your listeners find themselves in northern Texas, be sure and check out the ICR Discovery Center. It is just wonderful, and of course, we have a button there that you can hit on the icr.org website, and and uh, check out the Discovery Center and the various ministries that we have, including Days of Praise, which is a daily devotional, and also um, the impact articles that we have in a uh, once-every-two-month uh, publication called Acts and Facts. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people do subscribe to that. Um, what a great mm-hmm. publication that is. And also on the site, and I love these, you have several Shorter articles, just uh, subjects of interest to creationists, and I, I, I read so many of them this last weekend, and I was just thoroughly blessed by that. And I want to get into those a little bit in the second half, but I have, will also have a link to those on the podcast in the description of today's podcast once it's posted um, on StandForTheTruth.com. You will be able to get a link and read some of those. They're they're awesome, Frank. I, I you know, we're going to talk about origins today, and um, you know, evolutionists are very irritated. Um, you know, when, when creationists say that they're, you can't have life from inorganic to organic, you know, supposedly, uh, happening over billions of years ago. When I was a kid, it was millions. Now it's over four billion, um, years ago. So Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, you know, the clock begins to tick on the universe and the world. But humans, Frank, they just can't leave it there. And here we're dealing with questioning God and coming up with wild theories about Time and timing of creation. Why is that, Frank? Why do people want to mess with time when we're only three words into the Bible? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so we understand that God loves us and he wants us to understand his uh, creation. And so he had, you know, Moses write out the, the Genesis account there. And it's not surprising, Mary, that the first 14 chapters of the book of, um, excuse me, uh, Genesis 1 through 11. In Genesis 1 through 11, those chapters are the most contentious and hotly debated chapters in the entire Bible. And so what we at ICR say is that let's go and understand that God wants us to understand his word literally from the very first verse. And so that's what ICR does, and we've had no problem with that. As a, a an individual that has had science training, I certainly have no problem with reading scripture, understanding it from the very first verse, especially 
uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, when you talk to a cosmologist, Mary, they'll tell you, it doesn't matter how secular they are, that this universe is composed of time and space and matter. It's a time-space-matter universe. So when we look at Genesis 1-1, we see in the beginning, well, that's time, Mm -hmm. God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, matter. So in the very first verse of the first chapter of the Bible, we see God, who has always existed, speaking into existence the time-space-matter universe. And of course, this is called a universe. The prefix uni means one. So we have time, space, and matter in a universe, three in one. I think that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, you talk about a day. Um, you know, what is a day? Because once you question that, then you have to go throughout Scripture and question what a day is. So a day is a day, Frank? Yeah, we understand, as the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, that God is not the author of confusion. He loves us too much, especially in this very critical portion of Scripture called Origins, where everything came from, including people. And so God used the most simple, straightforward word for a day that is found in the Hebrew lexicon, and that's Y-O-M, Yom. And the Hebrew word Yom means a literal 24-hour day about... I don't know, 97, 98% of the time. And so why would God use the simplest, most straightforward word for a day in this critical uh, introduction to origins unless he meant a literal 24-hour day? Fortunately, God didn't stop there. He gave us an astronomical measurement for a day. He said the evening and the morning were one day, evening and morning evening and morning, all through the six days of creation. And so that, of course, is an astronomical measurement for the rotation of this planet on its axis. We call it a solar day. So there, God is giving us a second, uh, I, I would say, very clear evidence for why it's a day. And thirdly, Mary, we would find that God is all-powerful. He could have created in a fraction of a millisecond, but instead, he took <laughs> he mm. took six literal days. Well, why would he do that unless he was giving us a, a blueprint to follow, a, a pattern? In other words, he's telling us that he worked six days and rested on the seventh so that we might work six days mm. and rest on the seventh. So I think a day means a day. But if, I, if we have time, let me just give you a quick 60-second uh, story yeah, of a man who in the 1700s was on a, a sailing ship in the South Pacific. They ran into a storm. The ship sank with all hands except for one individual who was washed up on shore of this desert island. He made a lean-to. He started beachcombing through the days and the weeks. And all of a sudden, one morning, he found the captain's sea chest. He opened it up. There was a captain's Bible. And for the next weeks and months and years, he would read the captain's Bible from Genesis to the maps over and over again. <laughs> and the question is um, that there is no teaching that the earth is millions of years old in the Bible. He would never close the Bible after reading the last chapter of Revelation and say, wow, this planet must be 4.6 billion years old. Mm-hmm. Instead, the Bible teaches very clearly, due to the genealogy, for example, that we find in Genesis chapter 5, that this earth is only thousands of years old. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's a great story. I like that, that he had a Bible to read 
um, good for him. I mean, if you're going to live on something, you're going to live on that. And I, I love that. You cannot read yeah. the Bible cover to cover and ever come up with millions or billions of years. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and the genealogy you mentioned in Genesis 5, you know, if everything is a myth, now you have real people. How, how can we coordinate that together? If, if everything up to that point is a myth, now we have real people. We have the gospel. We have uh, the genealogy leading up to, to Jesus. Uh, I mean, our origins are really just as important as where we are going uh, and how we get there. But how do they explain that? I mean, how do you how do you somehow figure out that this is all a myth, but these are real people? Yeah. Well, as I said, the most contentious chapters in the Bible are the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. So God is, is he planned it so well. I, I just chuckle when I, I talk about this, because in this right in the center of these hotly contested chapters, God put Genesis chapter 5, which is, as we just uh, mentioned, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus himself mm-hmm. from the first Adam to the second Adam. And so um, those who maintain that the Genesis is just a myth or an allegory or uh, poetical, well, then now they're talking about the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do we worship uh, somebody who came from a myth, an allegory, um, mm. some kind of uh, poetical interpretation? No, I, I think that God is very straightforward in his word, and he mentions a real flesh-and-blood individual named Adam who was created in God's image just thousands of years ago, and then we can trace that lineage, that genealogy, uh, to the, you know, the second Adam, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so from the first Adam to the second Adam, mm-hmm. and so Jesus did not come from uh, you know Adam, who is to be interpreted metaphorically or or um, you know uh, poetically or something like that. No, it was a literal Adam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that just makes way too much sense, though. Really, it just makes way too much sense that you know if Genesis isn't true, none of the rest of the Bible is true, and Revelation's not true. As well. So Genesis is really uh, what we want to look to to understand where we came from. Speaking of uh, where we came from, uh, Frank, I want if you would just please define the law of biogenesis, because I'm not sure if people understand what that is, but I think it is important to understand what is the law of biogenesis. Well, basically, it talks about, you know, um, life only comes from life. And uh, the evolutionary community is in the position of having to say that inorganic, that is non-carbon-based life, or inorganic non-life somehow formed itself. You know, they cannot have a supernatural agency. That's a no-no. And so they have to say that inorganic, non-carbon-based non-life somehow through time, and chance and natural processes became organic, uh, that is, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, life that can undergo reproduction and metabolism, all mm-hmm. that, all from inorganic non-life. And I, I just, uh, th- there's no way that they can explain that. Here we are in the year 2023, we're approaching 2024, and evolutionists still do not know how inorganic non-life can become 
from organic life. Mm -hmm. And my colleague, uh, Dr. Jake Hebert, just wrote an excellent, excellent article regarding what you just said, Mary, and it's on the ICR website. And uh, just type in Jake Hebert, H-E-B-E-R-T, and he talks about a challenge that an, a creationist uh, pres- you know, presented to, to the evolutionary community regarding this idea, this nothing more than a hypothesis, that non-life can become life. It just can't happen. Mm-hmm. Life comes from the life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. And so however we define life this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ would have to be front and center. Mm. Yeah, amen. You know, I think about Darwin and I think about the theory of evolution and it dawns on me that that people are counting on 150 plus year old science and they wouldn't do that for anything else in life, any scientific discipline, um, 150 year old medical knowledge, say, for instance. And yet this... Um, it doesn't make any sense because we've made so much uh, advance, so many advances in technology and science and, and again, medicine and that sort of thing. Some good, some not so great. But still, I, I'm just amazed because Darwin himself, uh, it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that he didn't even publish his theories for, for 20 years after he was thinking all this through until someone who claimed that he invented the theory of evolution uh, of species and he was going to publish his. And so uh, then Darwin decided, I better get this out here. But my question is, all I have to say, my question is, um, origin of species, does he actually address the origins of humans or animals in the book itself? Yeah, it, it, and that's interesting. Darwin's infamous book, published in 1859, uh, that turned the Western world upside down, was entitled The Origin of Species. Hmm. Ironically, the one thing he never talked about was the origin of the species. Now, what Darwin addressed was creation without a creator. Creation without a mm. creator. He he gave a lot of time to this uh, very cryptic uh, um, process called natural selection, and uh, we don't subscribe to natural selection here at ICR. But uh, Darwin talked about natural selection. He talked about variation within kind. He talked about uh, variation, for example, of wild rock pigeons. And he, the pigeons were mentioned several times throughout his book because Darwin and his friends uh, raised pigeons. They actually uh, uh, raised uh, the wild rock pigeons to the various other kinds of pigeons that you can produce. And so the wild rock pigeons are found around city statues and barns, and and by breeding these pigeons, you can produce, as I say, variations. But the point that we want to make is that not only are they still birds, but more importantly, they're still pigeons. They're just varieties of pigeons. So I don't have any problem with that. Pigeons have always been pigeons. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Darwin's uh, finches on the Galapagos Islands. Oh, my, there was a big deal about that as they talked about so-called new species of finches on the Galapagos Islands. Well, then, a guy by the name of Joseph Weiner, who is, uh, he received the uh, Pulitzer Prize writing a book called The Beak of the Finch in 1994. He admitted in this book, and by the way, he's a committed evolutionist and, and said some very sarcastic things about creationists in this book. But he admitted that uh, the varieties of wild rock, excuse me, of of the uh, finches on the Galapagos Islands can interbreed. 
Well, if they can interbreed, they aren't really new species at all. Mm. They're just varieties of finches. And so, yeah, Darwin uh, is, is you know, extolled uh, by the secular community because he explained, supposedly, creation without a creator. But um, it, that's, that's where it ends. He never talked about the origin of the species. Hmm. Are there any human fossils? Has anyone ever found, I mean, I know they've found bones, skeletons, etc., any human fossils anywhere in the record? Yeah. Now, that's interesting. Uh, and the answer is we've been finding tempting evidences of, of uh, human bones that have been found in layers that are way, way older than when uh, humans are supposed to show up according to evolution theory. But uh, for the, the listeners, we would have to say that we have not found any complete human fossils and the fossil record. And I think that we can use uh, maybe two reasons why. One is biblical and the other scientific. The biblical reason is when we read in the opening chapters of Genesis, uh, Moses tells us in, in Genesis that the earth was filled with violence. Now, that phrase, Mary, is used several times uh, just prior to the Genesis flood. This was a time that the earth was just reeling under the earth being filled with violence. It must have been a terrible time. And God sent a flood, a cleansing flood, to judge mankind. And uh, he did a very, very efficient job with that, so much so that uh, we don't find really any uh, uh, dyed-in-the-wool, USDA-inspected, clear <laughs> human fossils. We find, as I say, some tempting evidences mm-hmm. and all. Uh, so that's the first reason, biblical reason. The second reason is that our human body, our body right now is only about 60 plus percent water. And so we're just kind of a, a bag of, of water, as yeah. it were, that really would not survive the, the terrible conditions of uh, flood. You know, moving water can be a very, very uh, devastating agency, especially if floodwaters are combined with rocks and stones mm. and, and vegetation and all that. The human body would just be absolutely devastated by yeah. that kind of punishment. And so for mm. that reason, we wouldn't expect to find, um, you know, pristine uh, human fossils. As a matter of fact, dinosaurs, and I love dinosaurs, we call dinosaurs mission lizards, but most of the dinosaur fossils we find are what we call disarticulated. In other words, they're twisted up and all that, and we just uh, find uh, bones of, of the uh, dinosaurs in these uh, dinosaur graveyards. And so we find that the flood is a very, very devastating uh, agency, this moving water on a worldwide scale. Mm, wow. Earth was filled with violence. I think sometimes I wonder exactly what that means, but but uh, very, very interesting take on that. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. I'm talking about fossils. Uh, Frank, back in 2016, I remember this article came out. A very well-preserved skull was found. Uh, scientists proclaimed immediately that it was a missing link in the human evolutionary process. Um, uh a paleoanthropologist, Johannes Haile Selassie, he says it caused him to jump for joy. It was something I've never seen before, and I've seen a lot of cranial fossils. So they put it together, 
uh, to make a face from this 3.8 million year old fossil. Uh, and they thought, well, this is, this is the missing link. This is just like Lucy because it looks like an ape. Well, of course, my thought, Frank, is maybe it was an ape. And they, uh, Smithsonian had an article. They really ran with it and they recreated this face, which really is, um, an ape with a very thoughtful expression because, of course, they can put on any spin that they want with it. Um, I listen, I look at these articles by people that are supposedly wise, um, who really sound like fools. Um, but they call this a, a celebrated icon of human evolution. And yet we still have apes, Frank. So what in the world? How can, how can there be any such thing? They're still hanging on to this. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing that we, we say at ICR. Man was created as man in the beginning just thousands of years ago. That's our standard. That's what we stand on, that man was created in God's image. And so it's interesting that, like, for example, uh, Barras, B-A-R-R-A-S, out of, uh, who's a writer, a science writer for New Scientist magazine, which is an overtly secular evolutionary publication. He said in August 2017, let me uh, uh, um, read you this quote, over the past 15 years, almost every part of our story Every assumption about who our ancestors were and where we came from has been called into question, mm. end quote. Okay, that's almost every part of our story, meaning human evolution, every assumption about who our ancestors were. Yeah, yeah, and so really with that 2017 quote, uh, they're, they're saying that um, we just are back at square one. Mm. And mm. Um, this, another article I think is interesting by Hawkins, uh, in uh, msn.com, and this was way, way back in the year 2022, he says, a new human fossil discovery has everyone questioning the origin of mankind. Everyone questioning the origin of mankind, that was said just last year. Whoa. So getting back to your uh, question, uh, you, you have to u- use, uh, I call it evolutionary artistic license. Mm. <laughs> evolutionary artistic license when you find the shattered skull, the portions of a hominin skull, and we don't know how, how much flesh was there, how much adipose, which is fat. We don't know what the mm. eye construction was, uh, how it looked, what the, uh, the you know the, the uh, hair uh, concerning the the color of the flesh, all of that that is basically evolutionary artistic license. And then, as you mentioned, Mary, they they give a, a pensive, a thoughtful look on this <laughs> ape-like ancestor. Well, who's wrong? They're wrong. All they're working with is a shattered portion of a skull. So you can do just about anything you want, and mm-hmm. and uh, so they they give that human type of a look that pensive metaphysical yeah. look to somehow show us that that's our evolutionary ancestor but i'm not buying it uh, for the reasons that i just uh, gave you when the uh, quotes from secular uh, individuals mm. wow very interesting and i i remember i went to a parochial high school and they taught us they we saw the chart on the wall of, of walking you know walking humped over you know uh, slumped over like a, a monkey a chimpanzee and then walking uprightly at the very end and uh i guess i was surprised slash not surprised of that this would be taught in um my parochial high school not a christian high school a denominational high school 
so these things, uh, people do not want to let go of these things, and I find that absolutely fascinating. And I, I really had questions about it even as a high schooler. I didn't believe that at all, and I wasn't even saved at the time. So uh, this is very much entrenched in an entire generation, well, many generations now at this point, um, and like you said, it, it just seems so foolish, but this is a narrative that they have to keep going no matter how um, advanced we become in certain disciplines. This is a narrative that they can't let go of. Um, uh, you're listening to Stand Up for the Truth today. I'm talking to Frank Sherwin at ICR.org, Institute for Creation Research. And we're going to take a break in a couple seconds here. Um, anything more you want to talk about fossils? And we can carry this over into the second half, Frank, about the Grand Canyon, whether it was a little water over a long period of time or a lot of water over a short period of time. Um, anything else you want to uh, talk about just in a minute and a half here to, to get us to that point in the well, next half? Yeah, in the minute and a half, I just want to have a more recent quote regarding uh, what was said by the American Museum of Natural History, May 6th of 2021. And the quote is, when you look at the narrative for hominid, that is the bipedal apes, including people, for hominid origins, it's just a big mess. <laughs> There's no consensus whatsoever, end mm-hmm. quote. And so that, again, is from the prestigious American Museum of Natural History just two short years ago. And so that's the status of so-called human evolution. They are starting at square one over and over again. And, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Grand Canyon after the break. Yes, absolutely, because we want to talk about the flood and the Grand Canyon and uh, the fossil record, um, the Colorado River and all such things like that. Um, whether or not geologists are maybe, you said they have to keep starting over, and I want to ask you more about that when we come back, that they have to keep starting over. And, you know, was the earth actually covered with water for a length of time? This is something else we want to chat with you about. And how um, how are people starting to maybe rethink that sort of thing? Uh, I don't know. It just seems like uh, there's such a battle for truth these days on so many levels. Uh, but again, the origins of life is just as important where we started uh, as it is where we're going. And it's all about standing up for the truth, which I know ICR is committed to, and we're so grateful for that. So again, we're talking to Frank Sherwin today of ICR.org. Um, and also I want to remind the listeners to visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Sign up for our weekly podcast digest and that will be in your in email inbox. On the top menu bar, you can click the subscribe link, enter your first name and your email address. And also, I'm always looking for feedback. I encourage that at comments for standupforthetruth.com. That's comments at standupforthetruth.com. We read them all, and I, I love hearing from the listener. Remember, we are listener supported. We will be back in two minutes with more from Frank Sherwin at icr.org. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for December the 19th. I'm talking to Frank Sherwin today of Institute for Creation Research, ICR.com. And I want to open this segment with USA Today poll finds creationists are not as rare as most may think. So we are not an endangered species. This article says, according to a poll conducted by USA Today and released just last month, nearly four in 10 Americans believe that God didn't use or need evolution to create the world, a finding that might surprise many given how often and readily Christians are mocked or marginalized for their embrace of the biblical account in Genesis. Dr. Del Tackett um, recently said, 
of, of a conference he was at where he publicly shared his view of six-day creation. Following his presentation, a woman turned to him with a seeming straight face and general bewilderment and said, do you also believe the earth is flat? So there's there's definitely some persecution going on there. And it says it goes on to say Republicans are more likely than Democrats to believe in God's role in the beginning of the world. Older Americans are also more inclined than younger ones to acknowledge God's hand in creation. And if you have a graduate degree or get your news from NPR or PBS, there's also a better chance you think the world just spontaneously happened minus the divine. And so there are demographic, demographic distinctions here. But this is uh, a good reminder that um, no matter how culturally unpopular certain beliefs are, like yours and ours, Frank, biblical beliefs uh, may appear, uh, our beliefs and convictions are not that rare is out at all. I don't, you know, and then uh, also I want to say the truth is out there, Frank. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you go. And and so um, I like to tell audiences that the secular evolutionary community is slowly coming to some concepts mm. of a biblical worldview, kicking and screaming that they are coming uh, towards uh, what Scripture has always said wow. for thousands of years. Wow, very, very interesting. And as far as uh, um, geologists, I think you mentioned, I don't know, when, somewhat recently, that geologists are starting to think the world maybe was indeed covered with water for a length of time. Is is that true? Uh, absolutely. Wow. I'm not saying, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, mm-hmm. but we're finding geologists now who are saying exactly that. For example, uh, the American Geophysical Union, March 30th, uh, just two short years ago, 2021, said, and I quote, a vast global ocean may have covered the early Earth. Well, that's interesting that they're talking about a vast global ocean uh, as opposed to not a vast global ocean. Mm. But I thought that was kind of funny. But they're they're saying <laughs> this world is covered with water in the past. Well, guess what? The Bible says this world was covered with water in the past. So this is why I'm saying that uh, the evolutionary community seems to be coming to a biblical worldview, kick, kicking and screaming. Wow. And it's not only the American Geophysical Union that's that, but uh, new research uh, shows that uh, the early Earth may have been a real-life water world without a continent in sight. That was said in March 2nd, uh, 2020, of Nature and Geoscience. And so we're finding quote after quote like these, where evolutionists are looking at the physical evidence, they're not reading the Bible because they don't believe the Bible, so Mary, they're looking at the physical evidence of the Earth's crust and saying, it certainly looks like this planet was covered with water in the past. And again, I say, that's exactly what the Bible says. So here they they are. They're coming towards uh, a biblical worldview. Do I have time just to, for another 60 seconds to give yes. a second example? Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, we maintain that the earth is covered with water due to the Genesis flood, and the Genesis flood was a catastrophic event. Evolutionists have been laughing at that for decades and decades until the 1980s, when a father-son team looked at the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico and said, this looks like it was hit by a giant asteroid 66 million years ago. Now, I don't agree with those numbers, but they're talking about a giant asteroid striking the Yucatan Peninsula 66 million years ago, sending up a huge, huge layer of dust and and debris and all that that covered the Earth and killed the dinosaurs. That's their explanation for a dinosaur extinction. Mm. Well, wait a minute. They're talking about a worldwide catastrophe. The Bible 
talks about a worldwide catastrophe. <laughs> so once again, the evolutionists are coming, kicking and screaming towards a biblical <laughs> worldview where they are now agreeing with us mm -hmm. since the 1980s that this planet experienced a worldwide catastrophe, mm -hmm. just as the Bible says. Wow. Wow, that is also a great story. I want to ask you about the Grand Canyon, because that seems to be a bit of a focal point. And the question being, was there a little bit of water over a long period of time so that they can justify their, their age of the earth theories, uh, the Colorado River, for example, um, which would be that focal point, or was there a lot of water in a relatively short period of time? Do I have that right? Yeah, that's it. And so that is really what you described, Mary, is something we call the war of the worldviews. <laughs> uh, one worldview says a little bit of water, the Colorado River, carved out what we see today as Grand Canyon, but it took the Colorado River at least 50 to 60 million years carving out Grand Canyon sand grain by sand grain over that extended time. Well, we look at Grand Canyon and say, no, we understand that there was a worldwide flood just about 4,500 years ago. This worldwide flood was a little over a year in duration. And so we look at Grand Canyon from the perspective of our worldview, which is a biblically-based worldview that says that this planet was covered with water when the, when the continents uh, rose up and the floodwaters receded from the continents, we find there was catastrophic carving of the these canyons, and not only Grand Canyon, but there's a huge canyon right here in Texas, which is the second largest canyon that has been found since, uh, 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 compared to the largest, which of course is Grand Canyon mm. in northern Arizona. And so, yeah, we would say that there is evidence uh, for catastrophic flooding over a short period of time and carving, that is, erosion. For example, billions of nautiloid fossils are found in a layer with in the Redwall Limestone of Grand Canyon. This layer was deposited catastrophically by a massive flow of sediment. Most of the sediments are what we call lime sand, L-I-M-E, lime sand, that helped to deposit these uh, billions of nautiloid fossils. We're talking about a worldwide flood, not only causing Grand Canyon, but the, <laughs> the rest of the planet. Well, yes, and I, I have been to the Grand Canyon just probably once, and it's amazing that that uh, that proof of judgment on the world is such a beautiful thing that we all can behold, and it's just an incredible, incredible spot uh, on Earth. Um, Frank, I want to talk, switch gears a little bit about young Earth, because even within the church, it seems like this seems, seems to be growing and growing. Uh, young Earth um, versus old Earth. Uh, the churches don't always teach young Earth. Six day, of course. Uh, it just seems like that is such an issue. The gap theory comes into that, I do believe. Um, but we want to talk about a little bit about reasons to believe that the earth is young. And I know there are several places we could go there based on what you know and what you're excellent at, parasitology, bacteria, DNA, and soft tissue, um, strong sun versus weak sun, all that sort of thing. Where would you like to go with, uh, because I do want, uh, to talk about this, because it is an area of apologetics that I think is important today. 
Yeah, and I agree. Of course, we look to the Scripture first and foremost, uh, because that's uh, uh, the foundation of our worldview. And we find, as I mentioned in the first half of the program, that nowhere in the Bible does it talk about millions and millions of years. And just a simple, straightforward reading of Scripture would lead one to believe that this earth is only thousands of years old. And so, with that in mind, I like to talk about fossils, because, as we say, and maybe your listeners may have never heard this phrase before, but we like to say at ICR that floods form fossils fast. (laughs) Floods form fossils fast, and ICR in the Discovery Center has t-shirts where we have that. But it's certainly true, Mary, that we find these trillions of fossils in all of the uh, sedimentary rock units throughout the world, and that the fact is that this planet was uh, is covered presently with 73% liquid water on the surface, and so there is the water that's needed for the Genesis flood, and then we find these sedimentary rock units, and sedimentary are uh, sedimentary rock are uh, sandstone, limestone, and shale. Those are the three most common, containing these billions, these trillions of fossils. And so we would look at that at the very bottom, Mary, of the um, grand, uh, excuse me, of the geologic column are my favorite invertebrate creatures called trilobites. <laughs> well, trilobites are amazing, amazing arthropods. Arthropods are animals with paired jointed appendages and so forth, and the flood covered and and um, preserved the fossils so well that we can uh, uh, look at the eye anatomy of the trilobite and see that the eye anatomy was insanely complex. Mm. Now, uh, even the most secular evolutionist, which is a late Steve Gould, out of that little Bible college ca- called Harvard, uh, <laughs> Steve Gould was uh, very, very clear that this planet, uh, that the fossils we find, uh, were laid down suddenly and catastrophically, and that they um, uh, uh, have no evidence of evolutionary processes. That's exactly what we would predict on the basis of creation. Mm. Wow. Yes, that is very, very fascinating. Um, there are so many complex systems in the human. I mean, we, we carry these fancy phones with us that are very complex computers, and we say, well, who made this? Well, this was made by Apple, you know, Steve Jobs. This was made by, made by. We all know that everything was made by something until it comes to the most complicated systems, the most incredible something-out-of-nothing systems, uh, the entire universe, and yet we say that there was no creator. So that is very, very interesting. The other thing that I found uh, fascinating as I was looking into young Earth apologetics is the number of humans that would be in the universe if we have been here since humans, they say, have walked the earth a couple million years or more. So population statistics, even minus a global flood or with a global flood, either way, it, the, the number says it should be 10 to the 2,000th power of people. There is no sustainable development. They can't come up with that, Frank, if there were that many, if there would be that many people on earth, if it's been that long. And so for me, this is just another one of those things where you, you, you scratch your head a little bit and say, um, uh, but then there was a flood. So now there were six people. And actually, they're coming up with, if you do the math, eight billion is just about right for 2023. Uh, what do you think about the whole idea of young Earth and, and how many people we would have if, if it was not a young Earth? 
Yeah, with the population growth, that's always a, a good um, way to to look at the creation model and all. And my colleague and friend Brian Thomas, uh, January 18th of 2016, has written an article, and, they, and your folks, um, listeners, can uh, uh, check that out on icr.org. It's called Population Study Standoff, and it's by, again, Brian Thomas, Population Study Standoff. And Brian addresses this issue. Uh, the late Henry Morris, who is the founder of ICR, he said that um, the uh, growth of the annual growth rate was about 0.33% per year. And he stood by that number. Of course, the evolutionists don't agree. But if you had a population growth after the flood of about 0.33% per year, you would end up with the population that we have today, no problem at all. And then Dr. Brian Thomas talks about the uh, the uh, let's see the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences where they tried to uh, talk about population growth in 2015 and uh, numbers to, to make their case. Well, if you use evolution to quote unquote prove evolution, you shouldn't be surprised that they came up with the kind of numbers they wanted, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to population growth. So, yeah, 0.33% population growth after flood is just almost exactly what we would expect. Wow, that's very, very interesting. Um, I want to ask you about um, parasites, DNA in parasites and bacteria and that sort of thing. Now, this is way over my pay grade, Frank. This is something that I know that you've looked at, including and soft tissue. Yeah. Um, of dinosaur soft tissue. Can you tell us what they're finding in some of these things? Because uh, um, these also point to a young Earth. Oh, absolutely. And and this is, I think, one of the linchpins when it comes to the fossil record. Now, I, I really enjoy, I, I co-authored a book on the fossils with the late John Morris, uh, the son of Henry Morris. And we said over and over again that floods form fossils fast. Well, about 20 plus uh, years ago, 25 years ago, they are not, they have started to find soft dinosaur tissue. So for your listeners, if they want to go on a website, uh, the uh, Google search, and type in those three words, soft dinosaur tissue, and uh, Google images, they will be astounded as to what secular scientists are finding. Soft tissue of dinosaurs? Uh, My friend and colleague, Dr. Mark Armitage, uh, Mark has found uh, uh, bone, uh, uh, he found a a bone of uh, triceratops, the horn, and inside the horn of this triceratops that allegedly existed millions of years ago, 66 million years ago, he found uh, bone cells. They're called osteocytes. Osteo means bone, site means cell. He was finding osteocytes that were soft, that were not uh, fossilized. How can you have soft tissue such as collagen and other types of tissue remain in a soft, stretchy, pristine condition for even a million years would be a stretch Mm. but they're talking about at least 66 million years to 120 million years you just cannot have soft dinosaur tissue lasting that long this is an evidence not not proof but evidence for a young earth wow wow and we know that the default uh, position of of humans in this world is sin and decay um, so we know that when when they find, I always wonder to myself, Frank, when they find certain things that they claim to be a certain amount of old, I know how things disintegrate, you know, even after 
when you and I are, are in the grave, it doesn't take that long before we are really no more. Uh, we are dust. Right. And so I find that very, very interesting that, that people don't seem to understand that things are degrading and things are decaying every minute uh, exposed to air and water and all that sort of thing. And so I'm just amazed at um, how they can find the, the soft tissue and the, the tiniest building blocks of life. Um, we're talking about parasites and bacteria pointing to a young earth. That that just amazes me. Anything else in your studies, parasitology and, and DNA, that sort of thing, that that you have found to be uh, very, very interesting that you can share with us? Yeah, well, it's just very quickly, my field is parasites, and so we look at parasites from a biblical worldview instead of an evolutionary worldview, and so we would maintain that parasites and these devastating bacterial infections like cholera that we have today, uh, before the fall of man, if we remember in the opening chapters of Genesis, God created, and then after the creation, we find the corruption in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, where Satan said, to Eve, did God really say that? So that's the corruption of the creation, and then soon after that, God cursed the earth. He cursed the earth with weeds and thorns and thistles. Uh, I believe probably parasites, that's my field, uh, definitely telemarketers, (laughs) and so God curse the earth in all of these uh, <laughs> situations that we find, and, and that means pathogenic or disease-causing bacteria. And so what we would say as creationists, I would say that these parasites were what we call free-living in the pre uh, fallen world. Uh, they were free living. They were not infecting animals. They were not infecting people. They were free living on their own. And then when God cursed the earth, then there was a loss of genetic information, which means that they had to depend on animals or people to survive. And that's where we think was the origin of parasites. I, I cannot say it for definitively uh, that's how it was. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's that's why we are called, Mary, the Institute for Creation Research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. not the Institute for Creation Answers. Mm. Very, I like that distinction very much. I was fascinated when we had COVID and, and all the things that humans did to try and corral and and uh, tell this germ what to do. If we stay in our house, if we wear a mask, if we do A, B, C, and D, this germ will not um, rule over us. And yet, People are still getting it. They're still getting sick. I thought that was a bit laughable. I also find it interesting that when we get sick, we get a virus, um, which is on the cellular level, obviously. It can really, really knock us flat uh, very, very quickly. But I cannot, uh, I can give you my cold, but I can't, if I'm well, I can't breathe wellness on you. I can only breathe uh, disease on you, and I find that interesting and further proof that uh, that corruption that you that you talk about and that the curse that you talk about creation, corruption, curse, and catastrophe. Um, I would think people now would have figured out how this all works with bacteria, but clearly because of COVID, they have not. They're still trying to rein in or rule over these little bacteria, but I don't believe that's going to happen. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, my, my friend um, um, uh, Jerry has um, written an article a number of years ago regarding viruses. Uh, when I was an undergraduate in biology, I was taught that all viruses were bad. You know, viruses are terrible. And now, all of a sudden, we're looking at, for example, viruses. And COVID is is a virus. It's a a subcellular entity, very very small. It just has. Uh, it's made up of protein and nucleic acid, and that's about it. But that protein 
green coat is very sinister. It can change easily. Now, evolutionists call that evolution. I don't call that evolution at all. I say the variation of the protein coat of a virus is nothing more than variation. It's not true evolution, Darwinian evolution. And so to, to prove that, I would say uh, that COVID virus has always been a COVID virus. It's not on its way to becoming uh, some kind mm-hmm. of different, you know, totally different virus. And so, um, yeah, so we, we now are looking at viruses, some of which are very important, for example, uh, for the uh, homeostasis of the oceans. The oceans mm. are a perfect, perfect uh, place to have bacteria thrive and multiply just uh, 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 totally out of control unless the Creator, the Lord Jesus, created a whole family of viruses mm. that do nothing more than infect the bacteria in the ocean and cause the bacteria to die. Uh, in biology, we call it lice. Lice means to break apart. So approximately every 24 hours, we have this massive die-off of bacteria in the ocean thanks to viruses. These viruses we call in biology are called bacteriophages. And so we find what we call, Mary, a balanced creation mm. there with these viruses that supposedly were all bad, mm. uh, being very, very important for a an equalization, a homeostasis, for example, of the oceans. Wow, that is interesting because I think we tend to consider viruses and such bacteria as a result of the fall, and we wouldn't have it if it weren't for the fall, but that is uh, clearly not the case. And then in the case of us humans, God gave us an immune system, which which some some so-called scientists trying to destroy for their own ends, um, but God gave us an immune system to fight these things. So we are fearfully, wonderfully made on every level. Um, so I thank you for clarifying that. I also want to mention these articles. I mentioned them earlier at the beginning of the podcast. There are several uh, creation science update articles on ICR.org. Uh, and I'm just going to name a couple of titles because I think they're very compelling. How Sunflowers See the Sun. Um, bird beaks, very interesting, modern and ancient, and that birds did not evolve from dinosaurs or flying dinosaurs, that they were created by God. How honeybees make accurate, fast decisions. Another one, butterflies can remember uh, about, because they do migrate, and I just find all of that on a, on a, I don't know if I call that a micro or macro level of creation. Very, very interesting. We only have three minutes left, Frank, and I want to ask you, what did we miss? Is there something that you would like to still uh, mention or talk about today? Yeah, just very quickly uh, concerning starlight and time. You know, sometimes uh, Christians get kind of ups- uh, you know challenged with the idea that we're seeing starlight from vast uh, regions and all that. And um, it's interesting. I-, I like to set their heart at ease by saying the evolutionists have the same problem creationists have with this idea of being able to see starlight from vast. Uh, regions of uh, space there. Evolutionists understand that there's a problem with starlight and time after the so-called Big Bang, and and we do not subscribe to the Big Bang here at ICR. As a matter of fact, the evolutionists uh, agree that the origin of the universe didn't start with the Big Bang. The Big Bang allegedly uh, uh, explains the expansion of the universe, not the origin of the universe. But basically, um, it, when it comes to starlight and time, we have to fully understand the nature of light. We don't. We have to fully understand the nature of gravity. We don't. Mm. (laughs) 
And so uh, it also gets into uh, Einstein's theory of relativity, which nobody understands either. And so we do see starlight, and we can rejoice that God created those stars, Mm -hmm. and he knows them all by name, Mm -hmm. and that um, the evolutionists do not acknowledge that, but they have the same problem regarding the origin of starlight as Christians do. Wow. And the heavens declare the glory of God. So if you want to see some glory, just step outside on a clear night and you'll get plenty of glory that you can look at. Frank Sherwin, (laughs) thank you so much. And I hope we can do this again sometime. Uh, Clearly from the end topic, we have a whole nother podcast here that we could run with. So I want to thank you for being a guest today and um, hoping you'll do it again. Uh, Mary, I'd be more than honored. Great. Wonderful. Great. We'll be in touch with the calendar. Frank Sherwin, ICR.org. Thank you so much, Frank. Also, I was thinking when you were, when he was discussing the end here, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So it's going to end a little differently than what it started. Also, these creation science updates, these uh, smaller articles, I have a link to that. It'll be on the podcast, um, uh, when we post the podcast. And I really encourage you to read those. Uh, Stand for the Truth. We're powered by some powerful, pod, wonderful podcast guests over the decades. Um, we have a list of the most popular guests on the website, standfortheTruth.com. Click on Guests, and you can find your favorite and listen to recent podcasts. That's it for uh, today. And we have uh, tomorrow Patricia Engler of Answers in Genesis. Thursday, Headlines. Friday, Chris Quintana. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a great day.